Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on scripture. Thank you for joining me. are stressful. There certainly is anxiety in our homes, and our society, and yes, even in our churches. I want to share with you in this episode how one man's vision has turned into a real effort to help pastors and, by extension, their congregations cope with the anxiety that comes with the everyday stresses in our world today. My guest in this episode is Reverend Bill Selby. He's a retired elder in the United Methodist Church, and he leads the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness. Though it's based in Colorado, the center's reach stretches far into the Great Plains Conference and beyond. I encourage you to check out the center's website at www.pastoraleffectiveness.org to learn more. But in this conversation, you'll hear Bill talk about the kind of work that he does, why it's such a passion for him, how he got started, and why pastors benefit from the kind of training and relationship building that the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness provides. He's been doing this work for 23 years now, And even though he's closing in on his 80s, the work still energizes him. Here's my discussion with Reverend Bill Selby. I'm joined now by Reverend Bill Selby, a retired elder in the Mountain Sky Conference, formerly the Rocky Mountain Conference. Bill, welcome to In Layman's Terms. Hey, it's nice to be with you, really. Thank you for the invitation. It seems to me that a key word in describing your work with the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness is connection. So let's start off by having you tell us why that's so important, and then we'll get into some of the specifics about the center. Well, one of the unique things about um, leadership uh, utilizing what we call family systems theory or Bowen theory is that the leader is always a connected leader. It's never a cutoff leader. So connections are extremely important. Relationships are at the heart of what we're doing and the emotional relationship, uh, especially when it gets tense, is extremely important. And how to stay connected to people who are anxious uh, can be a real challenge. You mentioned uh, the phrase family systems, and sometimes I don't think folks understand exactly what that is. So Help us educate folks on, on, on the 10,000-foot level anyway. What is family systems thinking, and, and how might that play a role in what happens in a congregation? In, in layman's terms, it is becoming aware of how your own family of origin emotional processes get tangled up 
in the emotional processes of the church or of whatever organization you're working with. And um, it's it's not it's not a uh, it's not a technique, but a way of thinking about a process that uh, can empower a person to lead in a less anxious way. Now, when I say less anxious, I don't mean that the the leader is literally less anxious. It's, it really means the leader is aware of their anxiety, which is tough enough. And by being aware of it, it's not controlling them. You know, um, it, it, go, it goes back to whatever emotional relationship you want to have. Like, for instance, when, you're, when my, my, my dad would get upset with me, um, he would basically sit, say to me, Bill, just sit your butt down and be quiet. Now, <clears throat> I didn't know that at the time, but ultimately, when I would do that, he would become less anxious because I was sitting and being quiet, which meant there was a connection between me and my dad's anxiety, which I learned pretty early that I'm responsible for my dad's anxiety. Well, in reality, I wasn't. But that's pretty, that's pretty deep in me. And so when I'm working as a leader and someone's getting anxious, I begin to think, just sit your butt down and be quiet, Bill. <laughs> and, and, oh, wait a minute. This is, this, this is not necessarily about me. It's about what's going on in the system. And it's, a, it's a, an emotional sucking sound, as I call it, in that it, it, it's there before you know it. The number of times that I work with family systems in which the system's already blown apart. And um, everyone is an intense, uh, that it, it just requires someone in leadership who's going to be able to not be reactive to the reactivity. And, and this comes out of uh, Murray Bowen's work in Bowen theory way back in the, in the 60s. <laughs> um, in which uh, they were studying schizophrenia. And the theory at that time was that there was some connection between the child that's schizophrenic and the mother, which is so ironic. It's always the, it's always the woman explained, right? From the Bible to psychology. And what he really found was the more comfortable the mother was with the child's schizophrenic moods, the more responsible the schizophrenic got. And so there's an emotional process going on there, not a technical one. It wasn't that he was training them to be less anxious. They just had to go, well, you know, my child's schizophrenic and I'm not responsible. So it's less about imposing something on someone and just understanding what what's happening around you, so that you so you respond in a in a more positive way. Yeah, you know, and and it's an emotional system, and and um, I kiddingly say that 
children and church both start with CH. And, and they both act about the same when they're anxious. You know, and, and, and that's, not a, that's not a judgment. It's just, it's just real. It's, it's life. And, and as opposed to my early training was you have to develop leadership skills so the church will not be anxious. Mm-hmm. And that was totally wrong. Well, in, in fairness, we, we've had more than enough opportunities in society and in the United Methodist Church in particular to be a little anxious <laughs> over the last few years yeah. uh, between uh, what happened with general conferences and disaffiliations and, of course, COVID-19. Tell me a little bit about how what you do at the center helps churches navigate those difficult times like we've had more than our share of the last few years. Well, <laughs> I don't want to presume that I have a the golden ticket uh, to to developing a non anxious church, but I do know that when I'm working with a family, say, of four or five people, and they're having difficulties, I'm keeping an eye on who in that family has the greatest capacity to define themselves rather than be defined by the others. It may be a parent, maybe. It may be a child. And and what I will do is I will work with that person on how to become less reactive to the reactivity. So when it comes to churches, it's not like I work with the entire church. It's, uh, but working with a cadre of leaders who want to work at being leaders and not reactive leaders. And, and that's, that's a real challenge uh, because the people who are upset with are the people who are their friends, might even be family. I mean, this disaffiliation, you watching, you're watching families split. And, um, and it's like a civil war in the church. It is. It is. And, and it's, it's coming at a time systemically, okay? I don't think in terms of the church isolated. The church is in the system of our nation. It comes at a time, like, for instance, you said, the pandemic, COVID. And that raised the anxiety in the whole system. We're having to do things we've never done before. Then you put together that with the political uh disturbance within our con- uh, in our country and then the finances put all that in there and you know the number one anxiety raiser in any system is money and so uh that's at the height of everything and how do you you don't you can't solve all those things what you can do though is work at being a group of non-anxious leaders listening responding and not reacting, not trying to solve the issue, not trying to give answers, which is, uh, uh, we were, I was taught my sermons were supposed to give answers. And, and, and one of the things I work with in clergy is, is how to, for a sermon to be an invitation to reflect rather than I am telling you an answer. And when, when the finger comes up, that's what I 
you know, when the finger comes up, then all of a sudden it's preaching down to. Yeah. He's talking about the pointy finger for those of you that are wondering. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> he showed yeah, me the pointy right. finger, not anything else. Well, uh, uh, there is another little exercise that I I play with in terms of everyone, and it's uh, it's the it's the moving fingers, okay, and that and that when things are anxious and when I'm being confronted by an anxious member, I will have my hands in my pockets usually with my fingers moving, kind of tapping my legs, a tactile kind of thing, reminding me that. Work just work at defining self. That's tough enough. But reminding me too that I, if I become reactive, then it's the middle finger that gets straight. And now the problem is my problem. Now I'm a part of the problem. How do I work at staying flexible? You know, mm-hmm. nimble in the midst of it. And when you know. And, when someone is yelling at me, I'm not, it's not like all of a sudden, oh, I'm really comfortable. No. How do I work at hearing this? Not so much necessarily about me, but what's going on with them. And that's, uh, that's pretty hard. We've talked so far about the types of work that is done uh, at the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness. Let's get back to the origins. Where did this idea come from and how did you get started? Well, I, um, my my wife actually introduced me to family systems thinking when she was working on her master's in social work at MSWs that uh, have a, a, a lot of family systems usually in them. And she said, this, this looks so, like something you do. And I really have, I, I'm a middle child. And middle children think more in systems. They're watching the whole family from both sides. And I've always been in the middle, so I'm trying to get people together, you know, type of thing. And, and, um, and so I did a lot of this in youth work and in training youth leaders and so on. Then I ended up being in a new church. New churches are fraught with anxiety. Money, you got to bring people in. The expectations of the conference, the expectations of the bishop, the expectations of the DS, expectations of people coming in saying, I want this type of church. Another one saying, I want this type of church. And, and it's a very stressful time. Well, I worked systems all that time. I kept working with what is of me and what is of them. How do I stay connected without getting enmeshed with their anxiety? How do I, how do I hear conversations about others that are sucking me in. And, and, um, and so I work this. Sometimes I worked it better than others. Okay. I'm not perfect at it. And uh, plus, part of it too is, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, I wounded, I, I wounded people in my process. Uh, just by being who I am or, or whatever. And so I had to learn through my wounds, you know, kind of be able to work with someone else with me, a coach, to help me through that process. And I was watching my friends, very talented friends, 
burnout, check out, act out, divorce, leave the church, um, uh, or sometimes they would do it the soft way, uh, an appointment beyond the local church, which was, uh, I no longer the Pope, I don't have to deal with that anymore. And, um, uh, and so in talking with the bishop, Bishop Marianne Swenson, I talked about this idea of, about creating a resource that would do this, work with these things. And, and she said, oh, Bill, that's exactly what we need to do. And, and, and so I um, stepped away from having a church. I was 52, 53, and um, wasn't necessarily a time to step away and do this. But, um, and then she also mentioned to me that, well, by the way, the conference has no money to support you, which was fine because the center is unique in that it is connected to our conferences, but it is not of the conference so that people who can come into the center can trust that this is confidential conversation we're having here. I'm not reporting back to the conference what's being said. This is a very confidential process. And, and so um, I stepped away and, and started doing this. And the first class um, was in 1999. And uh, it's, developed and morphed and I think it's become healthier as we go along but um, it 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 was supposed to be one of four major resources for what I called growth with integrity resources that was my first ministry company and but the center hit a nerve it was uh, intense so quickly with the pastors and uh, uh, and that I realized there was a lot more to hear than uh, I could do if I did all the other things. So I centered on the center, on the center for pastoral effectiveness from then on. What do you think it was about the center that grabbed the attention of so many pastors? Because you've been at this for 23 years now uh, on year 24 Things, things in churches, they have a life cycle, right? So a lot of things will rise up and then they flame out and something new needs to be created, but this isn't one of those things. So what do you think has it been that's just maintained uh, the popularity and the word, this is a lot of word of mouth, you know, pastors who said, hey, I've gone through this. This is something that I really think would, you would benefit from. So they tell their friends and it just kind of grows from there. What is it, do you think, that, that's caused this to continue and just be perpetual in the minds of, of pastors across not just the conference you generated from? We're going to get into this a little bit later, but the Great Plains has a heck of a lot of pastors that have gone out and gone through the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness. So what do you think it is that has gotten people excited about it and, and kept them excited about it? Well, anxiety, pain, um, uh, exhaustion. Um, but as well as the opportunity to have honest conversations and, uh, um, but in the process, being able to be aware of, wait a minute, um, there is something I can do that's productive that has nothing to do with technique or, or leadership style. It has to do with me. And, and um, uh, one of the, one of the things that, that's a part of the center, especially at the track one, 
is I, I, I want pastors to reflect on their call. We all have a call, okay? But to be honest, my call, yeah, I really felt it from, from God. I really, I can remember it. I, I feel it. But I went into the ministry for a lot of my stuff. Uh, I'm a middle child, so that, therefore um, uh, I'm not the oldest son, so I'm always trying to be credible as the oldest son, but I'm not. I'm a middle child, which is always trying to get people together, and one of them, that's a natural kind of thing. And and so a lot of it is my own family of origin stuff. And if I'm honest with myself on that, it. It's not something I need to be ashamed of. It's something that really becomes a real strength in my ministry in that, wait a minute, huh, I see this. I'm all of a sudden, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting upset right now because I'm in an argument with an oldest son in the church. And, and it's, it's an emotional process. Wait a minute. How do I stay connected to this person without getting drowned by them, without giving up myself? And I, I really think ministers feel pain about their ministry, some more than others, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, angry members, uh, the 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 member who has a lot of money who's gonna who's gonna leave the church, you know, um, didn't like what you said, uh, kind of thing, and and um, and then this church that you're preaching in also has something to do with your house, your house, where you live, um, retirement, your health benefits, and so you want your family to be happy. And if the church is not happy, they all get triangled in the church. Uh, they, they're brought into it. Someone says, you know, uh, I'm, I'm angry with Bill. And all of a sudden, my wife is feeling that too. And so there's a lot of angst there. And if, if we can normalize the anxiety as a natural part of the system, that it's not about me, but how I deal with it make, can make my ministry a lot more enjoyable. You used a phrase in your answer there called track one. Uh, and so let's get into a bit of the mechanics of, of what you try to do at the center. What do people see if they, if they decide they want to try this? The first <laughs> thing they do is, is they take part in track one. What, what's the purpose of track one and what does that look like? Track one is, a, it's a six three-day retreat process spread over about 18 months. And, and, it, and, and it, it's spread over that amount of time so that a minister has to deal with all the anxiety-raising times of a, of a calendar year, you know? And, and it's spread out so that we, we meet for three days and then you go back into your church. And it's not like you have to have homework. It's there the anxiety in the church. And, and so then they come back after three months or so, 
for another three days where we continue to work at developing an understanding of the language and, and how it affects our life and how our own family of origin is hooked up into this. And, and, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's co confidential. That's very important. Uh, people in the, know that it's, they can have their stories there and, and it's going to be confidential. It's long-term so that it is, provides enough of a time for people to go through the natural anxiety-raising moments of their ministry. It also has to do with family systems, which is a different way of thinking. It's not, it's not like Gestalt or Rogerian. That's, those are counseling processes. This is a way of being a leader. Um, it also provides time for people to develop relationships where lots of times we don't have that opportunity. We, we have uh, uh, circuit groups, maybe, and we meet for an hour or two hours, which is great. It's, a, it's very valuable. But we're talking about 24 hours, two nights, very important in a minister's life, not one night. One overnight retreat, not enough. It takes two nights. It's like uh, the anxiety doesn't start to mellow out until about halfway through the second day. Well, people have to get familiar enough with each other to be willing to share and therefore be able to talk openly about what they're facing, right? Yeah, yeah. And and um, uh, we started the track one, and and actually that's what I was going to continue doing, but. But I began to realize, wait a minute, even in six retreats, we aren't even getting started. And so after we had about 400 alumni, that's when I started. I said, I'm going to start a track, too, for those who are interested in doing it. Well, it was because they had been in track one. I didn't have any trouble having registrations for track two. And then those in track two were going, I'm just I'm just getting started. And so I developed track three, which all of them are six three-day retreats spread over about 18 months. And now we started the track three called track three 3M, maintaining ministers of ministry, which is those who have been in all three tracks who want to continue to develop this relationship and, and continue working. So it, uh, for some people, they've been, been in in the center involved in the center for 15 16 years and i've watched people move into ministry leave ministry retire from ministry uh, as well as stay in the center after the retiring because they're still dealing with life right this is not just dealing with the church it's dealing with their own life you mentioned and, track one you focused a lot on call is there a focus for track two? Like most things, developing an understanding of the language is really a part of track one. Now that you have the language, how do you start putting this to use? How do you really, you know, when the excrement hits the oscillator, how do you really deal with that? Well, we, so we go a little deeper. And then in track three, it's even deeper than that. Uh, I, I find that the conversations are so rich immediately because 
the people who have been in the tracks know what's going on. And so they're, even though they might be new to it, they're into conversations within 15 minutes. It's like, whoa, just wait a second. Let me catch it. <laughs> um, and so it's at the same time, there are, there are aha moments. And that's one of the things about the center that we have the aha bulb. When you ever have a, an aha moment, you turn the bulb on. There are times in track three when I will say something. And someone will say, man, I, I've never heard that before. And everybody else goes, what? We've been talking about this all this time. Something in that person's life, something emotional is connecting. In that moment is the aha. It's like, oh. And, and when, when one has an aha moment, it's, it's not just... It's not just an idea. It's really an emotional shift that we're looking for in this process. Beyond uh, the training that you provide for pastors, you also have resources on your website for both clergy and for congregations. Tell us a little bit about what those other resources are, because I think maybe some folks think, oh, this is a, the center is all just about these retreats. That's a big part of it, but you have other things that you do. Tell us a little bit about those things. Well, again, they were some of the earlier resources that I was developing, but the, but the center has kind of given strength to all of them. I go in and, and work with congregations when they're dealing with conflict and uh, providing a, an avenue for conversation. Um, I also have a, a visioning retreat and, and I don't know, uh, no church I've ever been in, the members have been calling me up saying, Bill, when are we going to have the next visioning retreat? You know, no, it, it, it's, it's not something that people are going to, okay, this is going to be the, the best thing since sliced bread. Well, obviously, it's hooked up with the emotional parts of the church. And so the visioning retreat is, is also how do I help these people emotionally connect to one another? So when we're talking about vision, we're not talking about um, number of new members. No. We're talking about what in our emotional system keeps us from getting new members? What is an emotional system that keeps people, when they come into the church for the first time, they go, ooh. There is all kinds of anxiety here. It's not like they go, oh, I think I notice anxiety. They feel it. And no one wants to feel it. And they go, I'm going to go someplace else. Nice people seem like a nice family to break into. But, mm. and so how do I help churches become aware of the natural emotional processes that keep them from developing whatever the vision is. And of course, the other part, pe people can work so hard on a vision retreat that when they get back to the church, they're exhausted. They're going, huh, I don't want to do that again. And, and so, so how do we do this in a way that we have fun and, and that, that they find, 
wait a minute, we really can't have fun doing this. But it's got to feed them as well emotionally. Um, and, and it's an emotional process. And I use that, you know, I use that word so much. I, I'm sorry. Uh, it becomes second nature to me. But it is an emotional process, not a technical one. And that is a key to this process. Because here's the thing. When, when, a, when a body of people get anxious, and it happens to be a church, it's the most anxious that seem to want to call the shots. It, it's the most anxious that everybody is trying to make not anxious. Now go back to my father. I couldn't make my father not anxious. He was anxious on his own. But like all kids, we learn, we try to figure out how to make our parents not anxious. How are they going to make them like us? Well, what's the difference between that? Making our members like us. Making sure that they're not anxious. And so uh, it would, it would, Affect my preaching, for instance. When I would start to write something down, I'd go, hmm, I wonder what Fred's going to think about that one. <laughs> right. How do I say that in a way that Fred doesn't notice? So I just took away my power. I took away my ability to say what I feel and think. And, and of course, that's, that's a part of our disaffiliation process going on right now. Uh, mm -hmm. That some people don't want some things to be spoken about in the church. And so ministers have to decide, are they going to be clear with what they believe? Or are they going to give up what they believe for the anxious members? My preference is I want leaders who believe and have a clear set of beliefs. So it's ordination vows, right? Take thou authority. And, and, and it's not an autocratic authority. It's not because I'm in charge that I'm going to be telling people what to do. But I've been very clear, and I, and I know this is one of the issues that's splitting our church right now. I've been very clear since, I think it was in 1980 when I gave my first sermon in, in Indiana on total acceptance of gays. And... I wish we'd have dealt with it 40 years ago then, too. But, but it is an issue that's still there. It's an emotional issue. And some people were angry with me, and some people were crying because they'd finally heard something that allowed them to love their child. It wasn't that I wanted to split the church. I want to stay connected to those people who are angry with me. They have every right to be angry with me. They have every right to have their own feelings. And I'm going to stay connected to them. I also have a right to stay connected to those who are hurting and, and, and be able to maybe empower a conversation between the two, because many of them were husbands and wives who were on the opposite sides. And I think that kind of gets into my one of my last questions here. Of if I'm a lay person in a local church, why should I care if my pastor wants to get involved with the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness? 
And I think what I'm hearing you tell me is that it's going to help my pastor connect not just with me, but with everyone else in the congregation and the new folks that walk through the door or that we encounter in the community. It seems very all-encompassing as a, as a way of helping people, pastors, navigate. Like you said, it's not a it's not a uh, program. Uh, it, it, it's it's simply a way of helping them think a little more clearly, probably uh, through the relationships that they have and the ones that they're trying to build. Yeah, for laity, for them, for them to know that they really want a healthy pastor up front. They want a pastor who's capable of, of um, speaking what they believe at the same time in such a way that everybody in the room doesn't have to buy it. Everybody has a right to be where they are and, and have different things, different thoughts, different, different understandings, but be able to stay connected because we know we have a leader who is comfortable with the anxiety in the system. But it requires a pastor being able to get away and and really be able to and not just not just retreat, although we call it a retreat, not just retreat. We want uh, in the in the three days, we're not forgetting about the church. We're really looking at ourselves within the church. Um, and uh, burnout of pastors doesn't help their church. And what, what happens is when pastors burn out, then they may become reactive, and all of a sudden people are upset about the pastor. Some like the pastor because they, for whatever reason, some don't. And now people are fighting, and now everything's focused on the pastor. And if we just get the right pastor in, everything will be fine. That is let me just say, ain't true. <laughs> uh, it's a systems understanding. And and uh, it doesn't mean that I liked every place I was or the people that were necessarily there all the time. But I loved being where I was. I, I loved, I loved the, the, the process of being connected to people who, don't think the way I do, and being able to call it church. As a pastor, I hope all pastors have their own vision. And one of my visions, and I was very open with my churches, my vision is that a church would be a place where people could sit in the same pew, worship the same God, while being diametrically opposed politically, socially, theologically, spiritually. But they have come together because they're a family. Family is not easy. Family can be very ugly. But if the family stays together, and, and, and even when it disagrees, that's a powerful movement. And so... Uh, I'm hoping to help pastors <clears throat> empower the family in that way. 
Last thing I want to get into is I know the center started in the Rocky Mountain Conference. We've talked a little bit about this, but you've got quite a few folks from the Great Plains <laughs> who have taken part in this. Um, uh, I've, I've been here since 2015, and and I see a lot of your photos on uh, – uh, you post to Facebook with each group. And every time I see a new photo from you, I can say, I know that person, I know that person, I know that person. <laughs> how, how cool is that for you as somebody who started this in Colorado that you've got people coming from – uh, Kansas, not the Kansas and Nebraska, I mean, it's right next door, but still people that are invested enough in it that they're willing to travel and, and uh, take part in these kinds of things with you. There is nothing, it is a deep feeling when I go and I meet people. It's, it's, it's friends. It's, it's family. Okay. And, and believe me, because they come to the center doesn't mean that they agree with each other either. Okay. Okay. It's, it's, there, there are differences even there. But again, how do I be what I'm calling them to be? Um, and, and uh, you know, I was invited by Jim Keezer uh, back in 20, 2001, I believe it was, whether or not I could do what I was doing in the Rocky Mountain Conference there in the in Nebraska at the time because they weren't it wasn't Great Plains, right? And so I started that group in Nebraska, and of course, then I uh, I was with a gathering, and then there were people in Kansas. They go, well, if you're doing that in Nebraska, can you do it in Kansas? And so I started with Kansas West, and then I developed another center in Kansas East. Well, now I've got all three conferences. And then when it came together, um, it, it was a delight in some ways. Although in some ways I miss having all three of those groups in those smaller settings. But the, it was a, the center was a natural in that we meet usually the track one in Concordia in that it brings Kansas and Nebraska people together that they've never met before. Right. And, and even at annual conference, when someone comes to my booth and, I, and they'll be standing there and I'll say, hey, you don't know this person. He's in Nebraska and here's in Kansas. Oh, really? Okay. Now uh, it's a natural connecting link. And, and so it's, it's, it just feels wonderful. I, I, I'm not sure where my home is, which which <laughs> conference is my home. We also have centers in Iowa, and and then of course in our conference, it's it used to be the Yellowstone and Rocky Mountain, and we had them up in Montana and Utah and and Wyoming and and Colorado. And uh, there's only so many that we can run at the same time. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I often joke that the best thing that could happen for the Great Plains Conference is if Concordia, Kansas would build an excellent convention center for us to do our annual conference at, because it's the center, it's the center for all, all points of those two States, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. So I'm glad that you found a place there that you can, that you can get people together in that kind of central area. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, 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 I'm getting older, I'll be 80 this year. And, and, and so I'm working at trying to get some others to do it. That's the reason Kelly Cargis, who is in uh, at Trinity in Grand Grand Island mm -hmm. uh, is has been leading 
uh, some track ones so that I can do track twos and threes. And then I've got some other people in Iowa here and here in the, in Colorado who hopefully will be able to take the track ones and eventually twos and threes as well, because I don't know how many more years I can do this, but uh, I don't feel, I don't feel tired when I'm doing it. It looks like you're having fun. So uh, for those of you that are interested, the website is pastoraleffectiveness.org. You can go there and learn a lot of information about the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness. Reverend Bill Selby, thanks so much for taking time with us on this episode of In Layman's Terms. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's a delight to connect in this way, really. Blessings to you. I hope you learned a little bit about family systems and how your pastor might benefit from participation in the Center for Pastoral Effectiveness. Again, you can learn more by going to its website at www.pastoraleffectiveness.org to learn more and to enroll in Track 1 or to find more resources, all of them aimed at making ministry in the local church as fruitful as possible for the kingdom and as healthy as possible for the pastor and the congregation. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.